This Manage Smarter episode is brought to you by SalesFuel's Coach Feed, your AI-powered assistant sales coach. Improve your salespeople with automated regular coaching in just two minutes a day with CoachFeed. For more information, visit CoachFeed.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Boy, we got a treat for you today. A guy who's got an amazing childhood story that literally one person changed the entire tra- trajectory of his life, and he's an expert in management and retention. How do you get from that to that? We're going to explain. Welcome oh, to Manage yeah. Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of SalesFuel. You know, Audrey, my good friend, Jeffrey Gittimer, always likes to say that the only thing harder than hiring a good salesperson is keeping one. So can, given the fact that Manage Smarter has an audience of sales managers, we're going to talk a lot about that today. We are lucky to have Clint Pulver at our microphones. Good morning, Clint. I know, I believe you're sitting in Utah. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm just freezing at my, <laughs> my little fish off here in, in Utah. It's so cold today. Oh, I know. I well, it, well, well, hopefully the discussion will heat you up and get you energized. So for those of you who don't know Clint, he's amazing. I encourage you all to go to clintpulver.com. Some of your videos made me cry. I got all you know, steamy and verklempt. <laughs> Clint has spent his professional career traveling the world, helping organizations diminish turnover and create customer loyalty that lasts. He's a leading authority on employee retention, work with thousands of people at all levels of organizations and launching in April of this year is your new book, I love it here. What a great title. <laughs> Based on years of research as the undercover millennial. Clint has been on America's Got Talents in movies with actors, including Jack Black, John Heater. I love John Heater. Um, and he also won an Emmy Award in 2020 for his storytelling and film directing. Flies helicopters in his spare time. You have spare time? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> not more. Not, not, not when you're launching a book. All spare time just... Uh, completely disappears. <laughs> Love it. You say you enjoy long walks to the refrigerator. And so welcome to the show. And <laughs> it's great to have you. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. So on you were a little kid in class and you were drumming on the desk and constantly being hauled down to the principal's office as disruptive. Yep. And one I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> a teacher recognized in you. Yeah. He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with you and called you over to his desk and pulled you out the drumsticks and said, I think you're a drummer. And uh, that one moment and that one person is all that it takes, right? Totally. Yeah. Mr. Jensen changed my life. He created and designed a moment that communicated my potential, my worth, that I wasn't a problem. I was an opportunity. I was a drummer and gave me the drumsticks and you know, there was a deal. There was a caveat with that deal. He said, I want you to keep the drumsticks ah. and, and just promise me you'll keep them in your hands as much as you can. And that was 22 years ago. And for 22 years ago, honestly, I've tried my best to keep my end of that deal. <laughs> and uh, I've traveled and toured and recorded and played drums professionally all over the world. And it just came from a moment of advocacy, not just a moment of development. And it's, I think it's an important management trait. It's a management, it's a, a relationship trait. It's, it's important in, in, in increasing connection. So okay. how did you get from that moment to becoming an expert in employee retention? 
Yeah, that's great. Everyone's like, well, okay, so professional drummer to now employee retention. Yeah. How did that happen? So five years ago, I was on a mastermind group. We were in New York City, and we were meeting with lots of different CEOs, executives on different levels of how they're running their business, what's working, what's not working. And one of the CEOs owned a large sporting goods chain, and he was talking about how his business had to move and pivot to the new market and how they, they're on Amazon and Instagram and the old brick and mortar mentality of like, just have a business and advertise in the newspaper is dead. And he's like this rough, tough New Yorker. And I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, you've got to adapt or you're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was very point. I was like, wow, it's intense. And uh, I agreed with him. And then I asked, I said, what about your management style? Have you had to change how you manage your people today versus how you managed 20 years ago? And he, he fired back so quick and he said, no. <laughs> he said, the way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years, 20 years ago and we get results. And I was, you know, it was another pretty powerful statement. And I remember we were in his store and I looked around and all of his employees were my age or younger. Hmm all millennials, Gen Z employees. And I just thought, I thought, would, I, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same perception that this CEO has of his wonderful, great organization. So we thanked him for his time. We all kind of broke. Uh, we had, uh, like, he gave us 35 minutes to, to go buy swag in the store. He gave us like 60% off. I didn't want any swag, but I had time to kill. And so I went up, I literally just walked up to the first employee that I saw and I just said, hey, I'm just curious, what's it like to work here? And it got kind of quiet. Employee looked around. I felt like we're doing some illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and the employee says, do you really want to know? And I said, I said, yeah, I do. He goes, I, I can't stand it here. Like, I literally feel like I'm a cog in the wheel. I feel like I'm a number. I, I, I honestly, I don't even think management knows I'm here today. And I said, well, why, why, why do you work here? Why, why not go work somewhere else? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe the, the kid's having a bad day, <laughs> right? So I went and I asked another employee and another and another and another. And out of 35 minutes, I had interviewed six of his employees. And at the end of those conversations, five out of those six said they would not be working for this guy and his store in less than three and a half months. Wow, And it dawned on me, like that, that was the moment. That was the moment that started this whole uh, research project uh, and, and, you know, our company, the Center for Employee Retention. It was that moment in New York because I thought, man, what if the manager could hear this? What if the CEO could actually hear the things that they were saying? And the magic of it is I, was, I wasn't a manager. I wasn't somebody in the business. I had my backwards hat on, my Nikes, my joggers. I was literally a customer walking in off the streets and they told me everything. Everything I got from them was real. It was authentic. And I think sometimes, you know, businesses, we do company surveys. Let's do a management survey and see how we're doing better. I remember when I was in corporate America, I never answered honestly on those darn surveys because I was always worried what's on the other side of the survey. Mm. Yeah, they say it's anonymous. Mm, I'm going to give a safe answer just in case. Or they do one-on-one management meetings, right? And if I don't trust you, if I'm I'm not doing okay with you as a manager, I'm probably not going to tell you face-to-face how I really feel. But I will go tell another millennial. You know, they will talk to 
coworkers. And so that's what started the Undercover Millennial Program. And for the last five years, I've partnered with organizations. We've done over 181 companies, and I've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. And it's kind of like Undercover Boss without the makeup. Mm-hmm. And I would go in as a millennial looking for a job. And I would just simply ask them, what's it like to work here? So, and this is so that cool. opens up the window into what we've researched and what we found. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another important lesson for another reason is, is the fact that if you're trying to prospect you know, for new business and new clientele, uh, you know, the best way to research is to talk to the rank and file, you know, yes. it, 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 and, and, and ideally to salespeople because we like to talk. So if you can talk to another salesperson, whatever, we'll definitely be happy to impress you with all of our knowledge and everything like that and tell you pretty much whatever you, whatever you want to know. But anyway, so, you know, you can spend a lot of money and you should, you know, on, on, on category research and what's that and the trends in the industry and the projections and everything like that and analysis, all that's very important. Uh, but if you really want to get to know the client and like that, go beyond LinkedIn and actually just have some, just some real conversations with real people doing real work. Yeah. And that, I think it was the power of it. It was that uh, the ability to make that connection, but also the magic of the research when I would go up to an employee and I would say, what's it like to work here? And an employee would answer with the response, I love it here. I, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I, I mean, our company, what we're building, my manager, Susie, you've got to meet Susie. Susie, come here. Hey, you got to take an application, apply. Those type of responses when they would trend within an organization, that was the magic of everything because then we were able to look in and see what was going on. You know, what were great managers, what were great leaders doing to create organizations that people never wanted to leave. And that was, that was powerful. That was, yeah. I'm thinking about your research. So what's the number one reason that you found that people leave the company that they're at? I'm guessing that Susie's not a part of that equation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing. Management always is number one, right? We found 75% of all turnover can be traced back to management. Mm. You're the number one reason why people stay and you're the number one reason why people leave. And the interesting part is we found four different types of managers in every organization. And there's two variables that we would rate these types of managers off of. In every business, every company, you have standards, you have expectations, you have the job responsibilities that need to get done. You're running a business. But on the second side of that, call it soft skills, call it the intangibles, but it is the connection. And my perspective of what I give when I come in and train and work with organizations is, is not, I'm not a leadership guru that's giving my self-proclaimed leadership expertise or my experiences. What I'm doing is I'm giving you the perspective from your employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. And it's unique. It's, it's, it's different in that they talked about connection. They talked about intangibles. They talked about the soft skills that I think sometimes we, we forget or as management, we go, mm, yeah, I'm not here to be people's friends. I give you a paycheck. Be glad you have a job, do your job. But to employees that matters. So those are the two variables, standards and connection. The first manager we saw was what was called the removed manager. They were low on standards. They were low on connection. They were disengaged from the job. They were in the job, but not into the job. So this created disengagement with their employees. The second manager we found was the buddy manager. (laughs) 
This is the <laughs> sales manager that just wants to be everybody's friend. They want to be tight with everybody. They don't want to ruffle feathers. You know, they're afraid worked. to have hard conversations. So they're high on connection, but they're low on standards and development. What did this create? Entitlement. Where, where mm-hmm. employees were like, oh, come on, Chad. You know, I'm, I'm late, but we're tight. We're homies. Let's play Xbox on the weekend. We would almost see where, you know, even in, in, in the sales world, a sales professional or a sales rep would become more of the sales manager than the sales manager would mm-hmm. because they could. And then, and then the third one was the most common, unfortunately, and it's what we call the controller. This is the controlling manager, the old command and control style. I'm not here to be your friend. We're here to sell. We're here to, we're here to grow. We're here to make quotas. I'm not here to, 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 to be your buddy. And so they, they were high on standards, but they were low on connection. And what did this create? Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Rebellion, pushback. These are the managers that kept trying to go toe-to-toe with everybody instead of shoulder-to-shoulder. But the fourth one, man, you guys, this was the magic. Then this was every time I just so inspiring. And I will never forget the incredible, what we call mentor managers that we found. And it was the difference between mentorship versus management. So we call that fourth one, the mentor manager. They were equally high on their ability to connect as they were on their standards. And so what did this create in the workforce? Respect. Mm. Uh, Mm-hmm. It was powerful. And there was a reason why we called it mentorship because it was earned. It was not a title. Uh, you know, when an employee hated their job, they hated the manager. But when they loved their job, they loved the mentor because of who the mentor was. If you look at any great story, right? Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Frodo, Frodo had Gandalf, Katniss, Everdeen, Hunger Games. She had Hamish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the genie, genie and Aladdin, Simba had Mufasa, Harry Rocky. Potter. Yeah. Right. Harry Potter. Uh, Rocky had Mick, uh-huh. like all of these great mentors that come in and they make the story better. It's because of who the mentor was that the person said, you know, I like who I am best because I'm with you. And because of who you are, you connect me to my dreams. So is this something you declare it and declarative like i'm going to be your mentor you you say to the employee let's set it up this way and try together or does it just naturally develop because the leader is saying i'm going to create the relationship with that framework and let's just start see the what mindset happens first you know the, because the leader's mindset has got to be of that of mentor not as manager you know, yeah so there's five characteristics that if anybody became that role. Because remember, it's not a position that's given. It's not a position that's even declared. It's a position that is earned. And so there's five characteristics. A mentor must have confidence, number one. Like that's the mindset, confidence. You believe in yourself. You believe in what you're talking about. You believe in your ability to, to sell a product. You, 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 it's a mindset. It creates trust. Confidence is number one. The second C is credibility. I want to know what your background is. I want to know what your history is. You know, have you sold before? What's, what's your history? Have you been in sales for a long time? Credibility matters. The third C is competence. You might know everything about sales. You, you've read every, every, every sales book, but can you actually do it? And have you actually done it? Right? You might know everything about the game of basketball, but can you get out and actually shoot a hoop? Can you do it? Can you do the thing that you're talking about? And then, and then uh, the fourth one is candor. 
the ability to have honest conversations. Great mentor managers built relationships so strong that they had the ability to bear the weight of truth. So powerful. I want to mentor with somebody who's going to be honest with me. Someone who's not going to blow smoke, right? They're going to tell you what they need to tell you so that you can become better. And then the the last one, number five, these are the five C's of mentorship, is caring. The ability to truly care. To advocate, not just develop. Because every one of your employees as a manager is asking you the question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not some people listen to that and they, and they go, those entitled little shining stars in my life, <laughs> you know, let me know what gets to the part about me. And listen, and it's not about entitlement as, as, as much as it is about just good business. It's bringing humanity back into the workplace. And we need that, that ability to care. I think the moment we stop caring in management is the moment we fail. And uh, so those five C's, you have those five C's, you're well on your way to becoming that. And if you are a, a, a CEO or you're an executive and you're listening to this, or maybe you're the, the head of sales, showcase those five C's of your management to your people. So if I'm on the sales force and I'm the, I'm the entry level sales position and I'm, I'm a CEO of a, of a company, it would be, I, first thing I would do is showcase all of my leaders and tell those frontline employees why my team of management are mentors. Why they are competent, why they are competent, why they care about you. They are here to have honest conversations because that gives the people a reason to listen. It gives them a reason to go, okay, you're going to connect me to my dreams. You're worth listening to. It matters. In management, we talk a lot about another C word, which is coaching. How is being a mentor different than being a coach? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, that, again, coaching comes with a title. Like you're the coach. You've been given the position of a coach. Mentor, it's not really, it's not a position. It was just always earned. It was earned through a natural relationship where people were put together. And and those five C's naturally were, 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 uh, almost needed to be proven, right? They needed to be earned. And a coach, you have really bad coaches, <laughs> like really bad coaches. They have the title of a coach. You're, you're, you're the basketball coach, but I hate you. I do not like you. I do not respect you. You are the command and control coach. But to really earn the right for someone to call you a mentor, a mentor, you are, you are my mentor. That takes a different level of, of time and trust and, and, and it carried a different level of power and loyalty. There was a lot of businesses that were like, we have coaches, we have coaches. And they would even call their managers coaches, mm-hmm. but they were not mentors, right? They had to earn that. that. That was the difference. That's the biggest difference. About what percentage of the people that you've interviewed work for mentor managers as opposed to the other three types? Yeah, I would say only about 20% in the workforce mm. out of the 10,000 employees that we interviewed, only about 20%. And it was always cool because it stood out, like 100% stood out uh, from what they did. And I look at like, you know, what they did that was so special and they were so good at creating moments. Mentor managers were beautiful at designing moments for their people. And it's cool because I know that because employees talked about moments. They didn't talk about days, right? That's what we remember in life. We remember moments, don't remember days. And when mentor managers became so good at communicating 
worth of people so they would recognize, right? Everybody wants to be seen, heard, and understood. So they were able to look at somebody and say, okay, this is your worth. I see it, and let's recognize that. And then second, they had the ability to communicate people's potential, the ability to grow, right? If they can't grow in your company, they will go and grow somewhere else, especially younger employees. So they were beautiful at creating growth development plans, conducting what we call status interviews, the ability to help people to see what they could become in the organization. And then they took on the role of the mentor to help them get there. Uh, Man, it's powerful. Have you done any correlation uh, with the mentor managers and overall productivity at the people you've interviewed? Yes. Yep. So we've been, yeah. So empowered workforces always create higher productivity, always. And retention rates. I didn't really look at as far as productivity, we focused more on, on retention. How long have people stayed in this business because you were their manager and because you had attributes of the mentor manager? Um, that was always the, the most powerful when you find employees that have been here for 20 years. Can you quantify years. that yet? Uh, we haven't been able to quantify it. Uh, I, I think it would be really cool to do that. I don't have like an actual, like this is the quantified stat of that. Um, but of the 20% that when we found the mentor managers, the highest, the highest percentage of productivity and retention was found within that 20%. So interesting. Yeah. There's not like a direct correlation, like 70% of retention increased because you were a mentor manager. It's just out of all of the employees that we've interviewed, that 20% had the highest retention rates. We, our company has several people and Lee will tell you that have been here over 20 years and it's a 31 year old company, something like that. So Lee is definitely a mentor manager work style. How do you recommend that organizations that implement your program, make sure that the wheels don't fly off one, two years from now and they go back to the old horrible habits? Yeah, it takes consistency. Uh, One thing that we found is great mentors were always being mentored. Do you, do you, you know, we can go back to coaching, right? Do you have a coach? Do you have a mentor? I think we should do whatever it takes to associate with astonishing people doing great things and good businesses that, that invest in personal development, whether it's reading books, whether it's providing training, coaching, uh, coursework, uh, specific, you know, even a mentorship program within your sales organization, something to keep the main thing, the main thing. How do we maintain the consistency? Growing up, my dad always said, I, I love to wrestle. And every, every Friday night, he would take me out to the, the wrestling meets. And I was like, man, that's Friday night. That's like date night. That's hang out with friends night. Dad, why are we going to watch the wrestles? And I'll never forget when he said, Clint, if you want to be great at wrestling, you got to hang out by the map. And it's the same thing with basketball, right? You want to you be good at basketball? Hang out by the hoop. And I think in, in mentorship, in management, we should do the same thing. So any great mentor manager, we found they were always being mentored by another great mentor manager. They had somebody else that was helping them along the way. Very few mentor managers, the real truly significant ones, just, I don't know any, that just became that on their own. Mm. It's always a combination mm-hmm. of other powerful mentors behind every great mentor, always. I've heard you say that, that every employee possesses secret powers within them. What are they? 
I, I think, I, well, here's the thing. First off, I would say the, the quicker and the faster we can get away from the generational stereotypes, <laughs> the better we off are, the better we are as, as managers. Yeah, millennials take the brunt of that one, don't they? They do. And it drives me crazy. I am a millennial, but now, now, now you're starting to see it with Gen Z. Now everybody's coming out with, oh, here's a new Forbes article on why Gen Z is going to disrupt the world and why Gen Z, you got to watch out. They're, 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 they're sketchy. Like it just <laughs> it kills me. And then what happens is, is unfortunately, some managers buy into it. Some companies buy into it and they go, now, because you were born during this time in life, you're going to be this way. And we're going to treat you this way because I've read in three different books and articles that because of how old you are, I need to treat you this way. It kills me and it mm. destroys an organization. We're looking at people as a generation instead of looking at people as people. Now, are there millennials that are entitled and, and lackluster and not the greatest employees? Yes, yes, there are. But are there millennials that are rock stars mm -hmm. and amazing employees and dedicated and loyal? You bet. We have a few here. Yeah. And seen, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and it's crazy to me, I will, I will meet with managers and leaders and all I constantly hear is I'll never hire millennials. I'll never hire millennials. I can't stand millennials. Like, and I get, I get it. They've been burnt a few times. They've had some bad apples, but in their mind, they just, they look at everybody as a generation. And so that would be my first thing is start looking at them as people and ask them. Every person is an individual. And they've all come from a different background. They have a different perspective, a life philosophy, whatever you want to call it. And it's your job to recognize that, to see that, and to grow that potential individually. Wait for that. that there's like that mantra of if you feed a man a fish, yeah. then you feed him for a day. Mm -hmm. But if you can teach a man to fish, then oh, you feed him for a lifetime. Every time I hear that, I go, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he wants a burger. I've never asked yeah, that question. He might not want a fish. I, I'm not a fish guy, right? <laughs> I don't know. The, the point is, is, is ask them, talk yep. to them, create those relationships where you're catering to an individual, not a generation. I think it's important. Well, pretty much out of time. I know this episode is scheduled for April and your book comes out in April. So call to action, everybody. What's in the book and go get it. And by the way, it's clintpulver.com. No, thank you. The book is titled, I Love It Here how great leaders create organizations their people never want to leave. And it is the combination of uh, the four years of research as the undercover millennial all put into a book. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I will never write another book ever again. Oh. <laughs> we are so darn proud of it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, the good that it will do. Well, congratulations on it. And this has been very informative. And I personally feel very lucky that I have a mentor to leader now, even more appreciative. So even when he makes it difficult when you're hard on me, Lee, so uh, it's good. You know, you never forget the good ones. Yeah. Cool about it. You don't forget the Mr. Jensen's. It's a powerful thing. Thanks, Clint. This has been great. You're welcome, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.